Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at BYU's International Cinema. We're now in week eight of our fall 2020 podcast. My name is Marilyn Oskerson, Assistant Director of International Cinema, and I am joined here today by former co-director Chip Oskerson, who's been appointed as Associate Dean of General Education at BYU. Welcome back, Chip. It's good to be back. It's, it's like being home. That's right. Today we're discussing Pernilla Fisher Christensen's latest film, Becoming Astrid, about the teenage and young adult life of beloved Swedish children's author Astrid Lindgren, who died in 2002. Her famous Pippi Longstocking was translated in 75 languages. Other famous characters in her book series feature Emil Carlson on the Roof and the six Bullerby children. Astrid Lindgren was a prolific writer, translated in, in more than 100 languages. What can you tell us about this authorship? So she is one of the major authors in Swedish literary history, and she's writing in a genre, of course, that that doesn't always get its due. That is, she's writing books for children, largely. Her first book was the book just before Pippi Longstocking, but Pippi Longstocking is the one that really kickstarted her career in 1945. She was a, a mother of several children, and at this point, she was uh, not working outside the home even. So, the, I mean, she kind of came out of, of nowhere. The publishing company that passed on Pippi Longstocking, I mean, this has gone down as one of the great blunders in publishing history, that she offered it to Boniers, which is one of the big publishing companies in Sweden, and they they turned it down. Um, they thought it was too irreverent. You know, Pippi was, was too much of a rebel, and so she went to another publishing house, and this book, you know, was what launched her career. And to date, I think the latest figure that I saw that she sold something like 165 million copies of her books worldwide. So she, I mean, is a tremendously successful author. And, you know, for someone growing up in Scandinavia, in Sweden specifically, there's no way that you haven't read, you know, not just a little bit of Astrid Lindgren, but a lot of Astrid Lindgren. And so these characters that you mentioned are, you know, are part of childhood for most people growing up. And interestingly enough, the film starts and then ends. And as well, during the film, we have a few of those letters that children write uh, Astrid Lindgren and, and their love. They share their love for the characters that she created and how much they've made a difference in, in her life. So why focus on the early, early years of Lindgren's life? I think, you know, part of it, you know, comes back to what you're saying precisely, that Astrid Lindgren as an author also had an author's persona. And she was throughout her life a strong advocate for, for children's rights, for animal protection. She opposed capital punishment, um, that she was a real political voice for pacifism. And and children found her approachable uh, throughout uh, throughout her life. And so I think that the, the film very much wants us to read her early life through her later life, the, the 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 part of her life that everyone is familiar with, is she's this you know kind of older woman, you know, telling these stories that they want us to to think about. Well, where did that all come from? You know, where did she develop this empathy? Where did she develop you know this power to, you know, to relate to the struggles that people have? And so it's it's focusing this film focuses precisely on the part of her life before she starts writing, um, that she never puts pen to paper, or at least not to write children's stories at any rate here in the in the film. The closest we get is at a moment where she starts telling a story to her son in bed. And and this, you know, is famously where Pippi Longstocking comes from, actually, that her daughter 
who's not shown in the in the film is the one who comes up with the character name actually and she starts telling us this is a bedtime story so you know anyone who knows a little bit about Astrid Lindgren sees that oh we get this gesture towards where all this is coming from but that's not what the film is about it's not about her her writing or her becoming an author per se it's more about her becoming a person and i've read quotes from her where she says that the compassion that she's learned through her young adult life. I mean, the the story, she becomes pregnant when she's 19 and there's a lot of shame attached to this. She's got to leave her village and go to a big city where she's not, not known for that, for that shame. The, the way that, that she experienced all this says it gave her the compassion to be a better writer, to be the writer that she was. So um, I appreciated in the film, how throughout the film, we can see how her life is really her writing. Mm-hmm. Can we say that? Uh, the, the way she relates to children as well, the way she plays with her little boy. Um, it, all this shows a lot of, of love for the children and how she relates to them and how she is in the game with them. She's yeah. not just... But, but it's not... I mean, it, it is romanticized to a certain extent, but it but it also really, I think, does a good job of showing the the struggle. As you mentioned, the you know, the tension that exists with her, uh, with her community, that she has this child out of wedlock. And, and, you know, at this time, there's, you know, particular stigma, you know, associated with that, and real struggle, you know, physical, as well as as otherwise, and that she really has to sacrifice to be able to raise this child. And it, and it doesn't romanticize that part at all. Oh, not at all. We can see how hard it is. We see a big fascination with individualism in this film. She leaves, she's choosing, she does not feel stuck in any way, and she's always like moving forward. What is the Scandinavian's fascination with individualism that we see in the film? And we've seen Swedish films dealing with children's independence, like Let the Right One In or My Life as a Dog. There's several titles that we can, that come to mind. How do you see this independence portrayed in her work and in the film as well? Well, this is something that, you know, one of the the hallmarks, a a, a typical trope that comes back in a lot of of Scandinavian uh, fiction and, and film has to do with the idea of the child, right? And so nowadays we we kind of accept childhood as a as a kind of a self-evident category that we can think about uh, childhood as a, a particular time of life that should be about innocence and should be protected. It's about, you know, kind of nourishing and growing individual and et cetera, et cetera. This hasn't always been the case, right? That if you go back in time in, in European culture, you know, for a very long time, children are in essence treated as little adults. Um, and you look at the representation in film and, or sorry, not in film in, in painting and, and literature and that this is how, in, in essence, they're portrayed. And really, it's uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau who um, begins to to articulate a different kind of model, right? As he wants to get people thinking about the tension between, you know, nature and nurture and, you know, kind of where does individualism come from? He, you know, he very much is interested in exploring how this is cultivated and developed. And there's something that rings true in Scandinavian society, particularly, that you have a, a culture in Scandinavia that has a relatively independent youth culture compared to other places in Europe that has to do with a different kind of family structure, you know, that they're not, you know, when you get married in Scandinavia, you tend to get married later, uh, historically. Oftentimes, people had this period of time from about the time they were 14 until the time that they got married, where they were working outside the home, right? So you have this independent youth culture, you know, that already existed. And there were these other kinds of societal structures to, you know, basically 
hold things together. And you still see evidence of this today. And when you compare American culture with Scandinavian culture, you know, a lot of times you say, well, you know, we know that they're social democracies in the Nordic region. Um, so that must mean that they're more collective minded, uh, not as individually minded. Uh, we here in America have this notion of rugged individualism. And so, you know, at first blush, it looks like Americans are, are the more invested in an idea of individualism. But there's been some really good work by sociologists that actually flipped this on the head saying, no, actually, in Scandinavia, you have a far more radical understanding of individualism than you do here in America. In America, it's very much, you know, get, you know, get the government off my back. Let me live my life. You know, the frontier, you know, all of these kinds of ideas. But it's the family is is the unit. Whatever happens within that kind of family unit is, is sacrosanct, right? That the government doesn't have uh, a traditional role kind of intervening in there. In Scandinavia, it's a little bit different. It's not a freedom from something. It's a freedom to be able to do something. And, and what that means and the way that that plays out is that society has a role in assuring that every individual has similar rights to be able to be, you know, to reach their potential, you know, basically. And that means that if you grow up in a, you know, in a home where you shouldn't be, but this way, you shouldn't be punished because you grow up in a home where your parents aren't able to provide you what other people are getting. And so their view of this is that um, society needs to focus on the in individual as a basic unit. Lindgren's books do a really good job of playing out this understanding of this dynamic because her focus is always on the individuality of, of children. And it's not that anything goes for, for Lindgren, uh, that she understands that society could really easily break apart if you don't follow uh, the norms, if you don't understand proper behavior and you don't learn how to play by the rules. But you have a figure like Pippi who's famous for, for breaking the rules, right? That she's a rebel, that she, we kind of uh, revel in the fact that she's, you know, that she's stronger than everyone else, that she's wittier than everyone else, that she, she doesn't do anything like anyone else does. But very importantly in this book, Pippi is not actually who we identify with. It's Tommy and Annika. It's the neighbor children. Like that's the whole book is focalized through their perspective because that's who we are. And so Pippi serves as this kind of release valve to remind us that we can't let the, this, you know, the society kind of oppress us too much, that sometimes we need to be able to step outside of that and remember our individualism. But at night, we go back home to our safe beds, right? We go play with Pippi during the day, but then we're back home, you know, with our kind of mom and dad in our safe, you know, predictable, you know, beds at night. Uh, this is what Lindgren is exploring with all of her characters in different sorts of ways. They're independent, that they have to be independent because self-sufficiency is a very important value in Scandinavia, maybe more so even in the United States, that you have to be self-sufficient. And so that's what's being portrayed over and over again here. These other films that you mentioned, I think, are really um, interesting in the way that they play around with these ideas, too. My Life as a Dog, it's all about you know young Ingmar's socialization, right, being introduced into the community. And interestingly, it's set in Småland, which is the region where Astrid Lindgren comes from, which is being represented here as well. Uh, Let the Right One In, this is the vampire film. This is a little bit more complicated, but you see the exact same dynamics actually playing out about Oscar, who's this, you know, who's this young kid growing up in the 70s, the height of the welfare state. And there's this real anxiety that the welfare state has somehow left behind the idea of taking care of the child and the individual. 
and and you could even look at more recent kinds of examples like uh, Greta Thunberg, mm-hmm. right? That the you know, who's this you know, teenager, you know, still in high school, but has become this icon for protest against climate change, right? And the idea that it's the youth that kind of lead this, that need to have this independence and this kind of voice. This is Scandinavia, right? That this is something that they're very invested in. Very good. Thank you so much. The credits as well were very interested, I thought. We start with the children's song uh, that really talk about her her work. And we end with that. And some of the words is take a leap, go through life, uh, take take a leap and and take a chance and, and be this individual that, that you want to be and be bold in being that individual and, and don't be afraid of being who you are. So a, a great a great message and a very well done film, very well acted. Yeah, the cinematography in this film is really beautiful. I think um, it it captures the you know the feeling of Astrid Lindgren's hometown of Vimmerby, which is in southern Sweden. What's interesting, I think, about the way that it's represented is that you know it, it is kind of a, a a rural ideal, and this is certainly the way that she portrays it in, in her books. That she likes to set her her characters in places that are very much like Vimmerby. And, you know, this is the kind of place that I think she feels like a child should be able to grow up because they, there's a certain amount of freedom and things like that. But the, the film plays, there's a little bit of tension in that hometown because there's also, it's a little bit repressive, right? And that there's a concern about what are people going to think because of this behavior, right? And it's not just the her behavior that in having a child out of wedlock, but even before that, you know, she's a little bit too much of an individual for for society. And this idea of the, the way that society tries to control the individual. This is a really common theme in Scandinavian literature and film as well. This idea of the law of Yanta, right? That you are not allowed to stand out. And so there's this constant tension between this focus on the individual and the individual's need to understand that their right to choose and determine, you know, self-determination, you know, kind of independence, but that you always exist within a society and the tendency of society to try to hold you back, right? To, to try and make everyone the same and not let anyone stand out. And I think that that's played out here. A little bit of a spoiler for, um, you know, towards the end of the film, you see how she she owns it, right? She, you know, that there's a, and this is actually based in fact that, you know, she did eventually come back to to her hometown with her child and they made a point of saying, she's here, she's with this child, you need to accept it because she's our daughter and, you know, and we're going to accept her. And I think that's a really, you know, kind of bold, but necessary move, you know, Absolutely. for the end. An empowering message for, for women all over the world. Yeah. Well, I like the fact too, and, you know, and again, not to give away, well, yes, to give away too much. <laughs> I think that it's really interesting that she decides not to marry the father, that she re- she comes to recognize what it would mean for her and, you know, it was not a good situation. She should not have gotten involved with this guy uh, to begin with. But once that's done, that she also recognizes that in in staying with him when he wasn't willing to marry her was not going to give her, you know, the ability to, to be who she needed to be either. And that was a, another really bold step. And I give a lot of credit to her family that at that point they were willing to to help her out and, and to support her in an in emotionally in an important kind of way. Well, thank you very much, um, Chip, for this conversation. It's a pleasure. It's a great film. I hope people enjoy it. Well, thanks for joining us on From the Booth, everybody. And every week this semester, specialists and film lovers alike discuss the film streaming at IC on our podcast. Please tune in. To get access to the films streaming at IC this semester, please visit our website, ic.byu.edu, and follow the link on the splash page to sign up with your current BYUnet ID. 
Our podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We're solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here, as we do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. As always, we thank our producer, Dewey Walter, and our sound engineer, Jojo Ekstrom Pratt, as well as the staff at the BYU Humanities Resource Center for their help and support. Until next week, keep streaming.